can never escape. Yet happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Can never escape. Everybody, 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 and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the film where we do a totally spoiler-full podcast on the a film, film week. Carnivorous Couch, the film, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah. That'd be pretty awesome. We should do that. Carnivorous Couch, the film. Well, we do a film a week from Two Film Geeks, totally spoiler-full podcast, and this week we did, what's, what do we do, Brady? Mistress America, Noah Baumbach's new film. And uh, my voice is Rob Whiting, and that's Brady. And my voice is my voice. And you stay away from it. It's mine. Anywho. Anywho. Uh, why don't you go for a sec? Okay. Um, say things about the movie. <laughs> okay, so we well we start with a plot synopsis for anyone tuning in for the first time. This uh this movie has a defined plot. It's also going to be a hard one to synopsize though because it is chock full of uh, a very good, uh, funny kind of one-liner dialogue. So a lot of what happens is kind of in the uh, the telling of the dialogue, but we'll see how we uh, how we do. So our main protagonist is Tracy, a girl. Uh, I believe she's 18 or 19. She's doing her first year in college at Barnard College, which is an all-woman school in New York. Uh, she is a uh, an aspiring writer, novelist, essayist. Uh, she, oh, she wants to do short stories. Anyway, she's a writer and. She starts at college, and she's not having an easy time of making friends. Uh, she's kind of, yeah, she has a roommate who she doesn't really communicate well with. Uh, she kind of jumps on her for everything she says. Uh, she doesn't get into the Mobius, which is the lit society that she wants to be a part of. And so for a while, uh, kind of in montage form, we see that she's just not connecting well with this new world of college. So yeah. she meets uh, Tony. Well, it's definitely shown at the beginning by the just the roommate. It's just a stick in the mud about everything. Right. Oh, well, the first thing that we hear, though, is a foreshadowing of who will be our other main character, Brooke. Brooke is the sister of the man that, her, that Tracy's mother is about to marry. And so we first learn something about, about Brooke in past tense. She says that she would always say things like, isn't every story a story of betrayal? And then she says, no. But in spite of that, uh, she kind of relates to us that this woman that we're going to meet was a little bit full of shit, uh, said things that weren't necessarily true, and yet Tracy loves to hear her say these things all the same in spite of their kind of uh, <laughs> pretentious falseness. Well, yeah, it's always nice to hear somebody talk yeah, it and say, like, this, this great... Th- well, I mean, like, I think there's one point in sight where she uses the word heart, and then she goes, that's a word, right? Yeah, that's... And it's just like, but she says it as if she knows what she's saying. And she just says it's something actually very poignant, but you find that oftentimes when she's saying these things, she doesn't know what the hell she's saying. Right. You know, if it sounds good in her head, she'll take the lead. And honestly, I know I've been guilty of doing that, too, of using words that I'm like, oh, I hope it means that, because that sounds nice, but <laughs> I don't actually know. Uh, For so sure. 
So anyway, uh, Tracy is having a lonely time of it at college until she meets a boy in her class, Tony, who wakes her up when she's in danger of falling asleep in the middle of a lecture. And she kind of has a, a crush on him at first. Uh, and in a nice scene, like this is a good uh, kind of a good summation of what uh, not being in love, but having a crush on someone is, is they both have writings and she's like, oh, well we can exchange notes. And then she kind of, he kind of critiques her story. But when it comes time for her to read his, she's like, no, it's fine. I don't have anything to say. I don't want to say anything mean to you because that was crushing to me what you just said. And I don't want to make you feel like that. You did. Well, (laughs) but uh, it's also kind of in that place where it's like in the beginning of a crush, what fault? Right. Yeah. No, there's always that. And but the thing is that we soon find out that crush is not requited by Tony. Uh, So she kind of gets some pep in her step. And in this montage, she's getting a lot of energy. She's starting to fit in. And then we see Tony be like, slow down. And we see him, her, or him. We see Tony with We see, uh, her, we see her, her, him. We see her, him. Too much coffee today. We see Tony with uh, Nicolette, his <laughs> girlfriend. So Drink that beer, motherfucker. Calm me down. So she gets uh, her hope of being with Tony gets taken back a bit. And she goes back to being lonely. And she's eating alone in a restaurant booth. And her mother suggested to her, like, well, you can call Brooks. And she's kind of feeling like, well, I don't even know her. Yeah, I don't know this person. She's got a life. And it's like such a mom suggestion, too. It's like, you can call your soon-to-be stepsister. Like, thanks. Call her. That'll make me feel really Yeah, call her. You can call your nephew. I don't know. He's he's like a couple years older than you. You're 12. He's dating girls. He knows what it's like. Ask ask JW. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But she's run out of options. And so she takes her phone, which in a nice visual touch has a cracked screen, uh, depicting the aimlessness of our of our new-to-the-world character. Well, no, that's just a millennial thing. It's actually a status symbol to have a cracked screen. Oh, is it? I, thought, I thought you were supposed to have a case, though. Well, uh, now, but I mean, like, originally when these everybody started getting iPhones, it became commonplace, and then the screen started getting cracked because people put them in their back pocket for some stupid-ass reason. Um... Then it became like a status symbol. It was like an NPR story about it. About I had no idea. Yeah, NPR, where you talk trash about people who you know don't listen to it. Wow, okay. <laughs> well, then um, so then she calls Brooke back. Brooke doesn't answer, and she's kind of relieved. Like no, no, she calls Brooke. She calls Brooke. Gets her voicemail, doesn't leave a message, hangs up, and then immediately Brooke calls her back and says, Hello, I just missed a call from this number. Yeah, and ni- also nice touch. This is just something that came on phones back in the day, I think. But a lot of people had the Earth logo. But I like that it's like it's the world. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. The world. Well, I thought it was a nice touch because that's exactly how people do things now. We we all have voicemail, but nobody leaves a voicemail. I mean, oh unless yeah. you're like Ross I'm from way last episode, and he leaves, you know, mammoth voicemails. I mainly do that because it's like. What if I want to call back again? Then I'm going to look stupid because I've already said what I have to say, but I actually just want to get a hold of the person. I Yeah, I, I'll just stop and send a text. I mean, it, I, there's no reason to leave me a voicemail. If the first 10 seconds of your voicemail isn't, hey, man, I'm dying and I just wanted you to know, you know, it's not that. <laughs> I don't fucking want to hear it. <laughs> you know, I want to hear, I hope I see you in hell, or I love you, man. But other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm just hanging up on that. Um yeah, no. I'll talk to you later, and you'll be like, did you get my voicemail? I'm like, yeah, I didn't listen to it. And they'll be like, Wh- why not? That's really disrespectful. I'm like, no, it's not. It was disrespectful for you to presume to waste my time with a voicemail. TLDL. Yeah. Too long, didn't listen. Yeah. Um, 
with yeah. a semicolon. Why does TLDR have a semicolon? I don't know. That's it's kind of it's like a semicolon is a statement of like where an author chooses to continue the sentence when he could have stopped it. Right. So it's like too long. Then it reads. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's kind of extra doozy. It's like that was too long. So I didn't read it. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Anyway, <laughs> so she calls Brooke and and then Brooke calls her back and then she says, "Have you eaten?" And she has eaten, we've seen, but she's so desperate no, to have no, the connection. I like, no, yeah, I haven't eaten. And so she says, "Oh, well, do you know how to get to Times Square? Come meet me." Yeah, we cut to Times Square. And uh, funny thing, this is something that like. I kind of was aware of, but if you're from New York, I think you really know this. Is like only tourists think that Times Square is the place to live. But Brooke, in spite of being a New Yorker, thinks it's the coolest thing on earth to live in Times Square. Which, when they first meet, she inaccurately calls the Great White Way, which is a nickname for Broadway, not Times Square. Uh, but they go out and they have a wonderful night. It's just what Tracy needed. Brooke kind of is this cool VIP person. She gets Tracy a VIP pass in the club. And Tracy sees, like, oh, she's friends with musicians. She gets to go on stage and perform. Uh, they go to a dance party. And it's kind of what it feels like for an older, cooler person to take you under their wing. Oh, uh, so what do you want to do? Uh, what is the line that comes out? I want to write short stories. Me too, but, uh, but not so short stories. <laughs> <laughs> like she says super vague shit like that the whole time. Yeah, there's great dialogue in this that like says a lot about character, but I think that and the hearth thing like get at the core of Brooke to me because she's always talking, but yeah, she's right. not a great listener. She's kind of always like waiting to say her next bit. If you don't Almost promote yourself, how will people know what you're selling? What are you selling? So many things. She's <laughs> <laughs> like super vague. <laughs> yes, it's like oh. I can relate to your comment, but actually, no, nothing about your comment, but I wanted to say something. Yeah. And then so then they sleep, uh, they go to a party, right? Mm-hmm. And then she finds the red pants that this bitch apparently stole from her. She's like, I love her. She's so great, but she's a bitch. She stole my pants. Can you find them? They're in here somewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they talk about something. Oh, that's when she says that she used to be friends with Mamie Claire and Dylan. Right, this whole plan. She had a crush on her friend Dylan. And her friend Mamie Claire stole her idea for uh, what sounds like a very vague T-shirt. It was like, yeah, it had flowers on it. Yeah. She stole it. It had flowers, but then it was like badass flowers. And like the flower, some of the flowers were with skulls and shit. T-shirt <laughs> idea. Kind of sounds stole like Ed Hardy. Ruined my life. Uh, yeah. So that's important for later. And she stole her fucking cat. Yep. And her and Dylan eventually. Yep. And then they hang out and dance. Uh, and then they go like, we gotta have a sleepover, so they have a sleepover. And Tracy wakes up in the morning, and Brooke's kind of acting a little different because she's on the phone with her boyfriend Stavros, who we never actually see, which I think is another kind of funny comment, maybe on Brooke's flightiness. Is like even the boyfriend is kind of this like half baked idea. Yeah, I made a I made a comment on how the boyfriend is just always uh, uh hey Brady, pull that mic a little closer to you. Uh, you keep drifting away from it. Thank you. Um, really eat that mic. Yeah, okay. Go on. Um, 
<laughs> no, that I I think I made a comment on how the boyfriend is always he's never in the frame. He's just like over here. He's like as vague of an idea as all her ideas. Is, yeah. is he ever even in the same room during this movie? No, he's just he's all overseas, and then they break up. Right on the phone. So anyway, yeah. that happens. Um, so that happens. So I think we can just move on from there. <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, Brooke's big plan right now. Brooke has lots of irons in the fire. Um, even though she's not great at tending to them, but her biggest iron is a restaurant that she wants to start. Uh, she and Stavros, her boyfriend, are courting money from investors, and because Stavros is overseas, uh, I might be jumping ahead here, but we'll just say she has to go do an investors meeting in right. this place, which she's never done before. She's just kind of... <laughs> she's, she's, she's just the person putting in the money, even though she doesn't actually have any money to put in. Right. She's a principal. Yeah, she's a principal. Uh, and so Which means that I d- I, I'm putting in the money, except I don't have the money. Yeah. Which and is so not what a principal investor is. <laughs> Tracy encourages her, and the meeting goes well. And we get this other little insight into their relationship, which is, well, Tracy needs someone older and cooler to take her around, and Brooke really needs someone to think she's cool. Right. Um, so that's their, their kind of dichotomy, not dichotomy, yeah, their dynamic. Their dynamic. Yeah, I'm just gonna do here. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, because I'm having to, I'm having to like do weird things with my head. Yeah, why do you keep turning over there? You keep like looking at the the canvases over here. Because <laughs> I'm afraid of you. And I keep adjusting it so that you're looking at me when you're talking. But are you? Yes. Anyway, uh, what else? Oh, so now though, with this new confidence, uh, Tracy kind of goes and digs the knife into Tony. Because now she realizes, oh, well, yeah, She the next time they meet and he's with his girlfriend, she's like, well, now I can give you comments because I'm not in love with you anymore. Right. So I, now I have a whole bunch to say about your flaws because we're not in rose-colored glasses territory anymore. Right. And then this is where it kind of starts the second phase of the movie where, um, you know, it starts to make a lot more com- uh, commentary about the people around Tracy and like what she's dealing with. Right, and this is the point where Tracy decides she's going to. She got rejected for her first story. She's going to write a story about Brooke. Right. Called well, no, Mistress she America. She started that after the first night they met. Oh, okay. Like well after one night, she wrote that story, and then she says, "Like I wrote another story," and he said, "Already." And then that's when she's like, uh, "Then she like talks." And yeah. I, don't, I remember exactly the order, <laughs> but anyway, the next thing that happens, essentially, there's all these little nuances and stuff, and I'm sure we're going to get into them. But they go to Connecticut, basically. <laughs> oh, that doesn't happen yet. Well, uh, she loses the investment from the boyfriend. Yeah. What then they go and talk to the, the fortune teller. Yeah, once once they lose the investment, then they go see a fortune teller. It seems like someone that Brooke sees a lot. They seem to be on friendly terms. And he's telling her, well, Spirit says that you need to... Uh, what does he actually say? That you need to yeah. go find someone from your past. Right. Um, you need to go... Forward, not wait. You need to go not back but front or something like that. Oh, I'm so annoyed with the spirit right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, they s- he says something like, uh, "I'm seeing trees," and then Tracy goes, "Connecticut. You need to go to Connecticut. There are trees in Connecticut." <laughs> so there are trees everywhere. That's where they go. And how do they get there? Uh, they go in Tony's car. Yep. And, and Nicolette and tags along because she has to because she's been burned in the past by adultery. Yeah, her last her last relationship, her boyfriend committed adultery, and and she doesn't can't let him get far. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of this movie can be synopsized by quoting dialogues from the movie. I right, find that I funny. Yes, 
we'll, 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 we'll get into that. And we've, we've, we've done a l- little bit now. But uh, anyway, like the, l- the ending part is the real substantial bit. All this beginning stuff, although it's maybe the best part of the movie and the most cohesive, like poignant part of the movie, uh, it's all leading up to this big cacophony we have that's the clashing mm-hmm. of the all these different generations set piece. and different people who have chosen different paths and like you know kind of when you look at it, it they seem to be iterations of what these young people could become right so they go to Mamie Claire and Dylan's swank pad in rich ass Connecticut and they're gonna go to ask basically to guilt trip Mamie Claire into giving Brooke money for the restaurant because she stole her t-shirt idea and her fiance, yeah, fucking bitch, and the fucking cats, um, and so they go there, and Mamie Claire is hosting a book club with some pregnant women. Mamie Claire is trying to get pregnant herself, and uh, Tony walks in and hears them talking about Faulkner. He's like, "Whoa, these pregnant women are really smart." Yeah, talking about Faulkner as they lay dying or something like that. Yeah, or yeah, something. Um, as they lay dying is a really depressing book. It is. And it's really depressing mostly because it's very boring to read. <laughs> <laughs> However brilliant it is. I mean, you read it, but yeah, it's very poignant, very brilliant. Uh, a lot of stuff about pine boxes. But um, very depressing because you're just like, God damn it, it's funny. I, I read it Faulkner as I lay dying. <laughs> <laughs> as I lay dying and then you get hit by a beach ball. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, please stop beating me to death with a beach ball as I lay dying. The mentally handicapped character's talking about how he's a fish. No, exactly. go away. <laughs> um, so, um, so Tony and Nicolette go to uh, listen to the smart pregnant ladies talk about books, while Brooke gives her spiel about the restaurant to Mamie Claire, and Mamie Claire's not having any of it. And Tracy confronts Mamie Claire and is like, "Well, why did you steal her idea?" Because Mamie Claire's kind of denying it to Brooke's face. She's like, okay, yeah, I did steal the idea, but you know what? Like, I was pissed off at her, and she never followed through. So, well, first she says she didn't steal the idea, and then when Brooke leaves the room, she yeah. admits to Tracy that she did, because she likes to make Brooke mad. But it, I mean, and that's interesting because it serves two purposes. Not to get too deep into it, but it serves like Brooke's full of shit. Oh wait, no, Brooke's not always full of shit. It's just that Brooke she's has she's a point. so full of shit sometimes that if anybody throws any little seed of doubt, you're willing to go with the seed of doubt because so much of what she says seems like bullshit. Right. Yeah. And, and it seems like the other character knows that. Like, she knows this person talks out of their ass all the time. So yeah, and that gets revealed gradually, too. Uh, just to, like, briefly go back to an earlier scene, when they're at a bar at a hot dog night, which seems like such a like a New York-y thing, like, oh, this bar, their theme is, like, oh, hot I forgot dogs. about that scene. Yeah, this is, this is, like, after the sleepover the next day. Yeah. Then they go out again. After, after the meeting, they go out to celebrate. Yeah, and an old high school classmate who I think was in, like, choir or some kind of theatrical, what have you, with Brooke, is Brooke? Like, oh, I'm I'm in town. I just saw the show. And Brooke's like, that show's terrible. Like, we loved it. And so things are on awkward footing already, and then it becomes clear that the friend, this not, not friend, classmate, isn't there to say hi. Yeah. She's actually uh, someone Pissed who Brooke, Brooke mistreated yeah. in high school. What, how did she mistreat her? Yeah, you used to come up behind me and then, like, pretend to stick your finger in my ear and then lick it and say, yep, did it. <laughs> And you did it as if I couldn't see you, but I saw you every time. It really hurt my feelings. (laughs) I like how angrily she says it, like as she goes, like, "Yep, bitter. (laughs) Yep, bitter." (laughs) And how does Brooke react to this? Brooke reacts by uh, saying, "I I remember you made a note of this as we watched it. 
kind of one of those things that's both bullshit but true. Like she has a point here. Right. People shouldn't be holding on to grudges if they can help it. Um, but it's funny because she's talking. This person is pissed off at her down, and by the end of it, she's kind of giving one of her trademark Brooke slightly bullshitty lectures right. at this woman. She's like, and neither should you. Right. You shouldn't be pissed off. Which I actually do like that because it's like this character who's so full of shit. But the thing is, is those are the people who kind of say the truth before. I, I mean, it probably would have. It probably took me till about thirty-two to get that get down to that and realize, hey, I shouldn't give a shit about what the fuck happened. And I, well, no, I figured that around 22. But, um, but you know, like, to be able to, if somebody from high school said that to me, for me to have the guts to be like, look, you sh- really shouldn't care about this anymore. And the fact that you do is just like, what, you're, you're getting married and you're having kids soon? You are not mature enough to do that yet. Like, what, something's wrong with you. <laughs> right. Which is what she says, essentially, which I think is spot on. And she is kind of being a bitch because she probably doesn't actually know that what she's saying is the right way to be yet. Right. She just knows it gives her the footing. Yeah. It's the way the wind, the, in it, the uh, exchange. Right? Yeah. And I think it's an important scene mainly for Tracy, I think, because some of the bloom at this point is falling off of Brooke's uh, initial facade. Like, okay. Yeah, and that's the way it is with all people that we admire, yeah, I think. You want to use the, the traditional? Some of the bloom is falling off roses. Off the rose. Uh, of Brooke's uh, initial rose. Uh, of the rose. Off the roses that are running down of the brook under brook the facade <laughs> of... Under <laughs> 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 the babbling brook. Yeah, yeah, no, and so yeah. Tracy. The brook uh, that's running with troubled water underneath the brook off which roses are falling. I mean, the bridge exactly. off of which roses are falling. So let's go back to Connecticut, because yeah. things are getting zany. <laughs> things are getting crazy. Tony and Nicolette are hanging out with the pregnant lady. Nicolette's constantly uh, questioning Tony for trying to cheat on her. Um, and poor Karen never gets picked up by her husband. Right. Because uh, Karen's one of the pregnant ladies. Right. And so then eventually uh, Dylan gets home, and he's the one that Brooke wanted says she wanted to marry. Right. Who is supposed to be super hot and super sweet and rich. It turns out he's just kind of a pudgy old doughboy yeah, who really wants to be cool and is rich. Yeah, he's he's a rich former hipster, it seems like. He used to work at the college radio yeah. station. Yeah, back before I worked at Saturday Goldman Sachs. We played Mud Honey, man. Like all the good stuff. And yeah, very much still wants to be cool. And so Mamie Claire is trying to get Brooke out of there, but he's very happy to see Brooke. It's a face from the past. He's like, yeah, we might have some weed. Uh, hey, hey, Mamie Claire, where do we put that weed? Did that fucking kid steal my weed? <laughs> you have my herb? No, I'm going to get you an apple. You just said weed like nine times <laughs> in like two <laughs> sentences. Yeah, got to get that weed. And then, uh, and then Brooke, he takes Brooke to their entertainment center, their movie-watching den. And she gives a pitch on the restaurant. Oh, wait, but don't forget that uh, the, the neighbor who showed them where the house was in the first place at this point has come over. Uh, yes, and wants a tour of the house. Yeah, because their car is blocking his driveway. And he just yeah. obviously has nothing else to do. Yeah, and it seems to be on bad terms with him. And there seems to be, like, this little inkling that him and Mamie Claire, like, had an affair, maybe, or something. I don't know. Like, what there's a lot of joking about that, kind of oddly, right? Well, I mean, he seems like to be you've mad never been over here, Richard. I'm sucking Richard's cock. You know, like some weird oh. shit like that. Oh, like maybe, yeah. Okay. Like maybe she's been over to his house a few times. Yeah. And then it fell through, and now it's like, so do I get invited over? Like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Right. 
you've never been over here. Or, or maybe he has been over there, and she's like, you've never been over here, Richard. You know. Right. Something like that. Like, there's this weird little inkling of, you well, know, sure. there's a bunch of shit in Skeletons and Mamie Claire's closet that she's ignoring from their marriage, and maybe it's not just Dylan's, like, I'm playing this fucking shit for you. Like, he's there's a bunch of that. Like, right. their life isn't perfect, basically. No. And we don't know what exactly it is, but it's hinting towards that there's other issues. Right. Yeah. And all of this, as I said, is in a very, it's like seeing a screwball play, people running in and out, dialogue kind of interjecting into oh, other Oh, there are more of you. Okay, then. Does yeah. anyone know where the weed is? What are you talking about? Weed? Which is really interesting because it's Connecticut, and this is like the kind of place where a screwball play, like the man who came to dinner or something, would be set. Like True. upstate New York, the Hamptons, or yeah. Connecticut, or. Yeah. yeah. The peculiar behaviors of rich people. Yes. Um, so then Brooke gives her uh, spiel on the restaurant and starts to flounder at first, and then <laughs> Tracy steps in and helps her give kind of a big glowing speech, this very idealistic view of the restaurant. It would be a place that would always be autumn, and it would be the cool spot that, like, her kids would come after work, and then the chefs would eat dinner with the customers when they were done. Because they'd be all a little family. Yeah, just, it's this kind of uh, perfect, picture-perfect idea of yeah, it's what like life uh, like. It's like Paris, if Paris was only, like, uh, a 100-person town. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that goes well, and Dylan says, oh, I'm going to give you the money. No, let, he says, let's make a deal, and then he goes and makes her an offer, which turns out to be... I'll bail you out. Uh, really, like, yeah, good job fucked. on the presentation. <laughs> but and, like, the movie never says this, but uh, fun fact, restaurant is one of the riskiest things you can do. Yeah. They turn over astonishingly frequently. Well, people typically just, they get a bunch of money together by some other endeavor, and then they open a restaurant. Yeah, but restaurants close a lot. Like, there's a... Right. Two years of, of not making any profit for Right. And a lot of people go into it going like, well, I'm going to break that stereotype. It's like, no, no, just plan on five years of not making any money and be able to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, Carnivorous Couch, a, a discussion about film and also some uh, uh, advice on investments. If you want to make a restaurant, go ahead, but just assume that you're going to lose money for five years. So, don't pay yourself, lose money for five years, and pay your staff, and pay your supply, and pay your whatever, and lose money for five years. If you can handle that, go ahead and go for the restaurant. All right. All right. That's what you do. Yeah. Business advice. You go-go 80s rigging on you. <laughs> uh, so, what else happens? Oh, and they keep trying to give Karen liquor, even though she's pregnant. Maybe because, like, you want some wine? <laughs> yeah. These people keep giving me alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they keep giving her alcohol, and then there's another moment where, like, Tracy just, like, tries to kiss Tony. And she's being very, like, she's being, like, highly self-aware of the screwball she's in, because she's doing a, like, funny femme fatale, almost like, so, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I think it's You're uncomfortable? Drunk, maybe? How do you feel now? <laughs> mm. uh, and then, yeah, Nicolette reckon sees that happen and blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing that happens is, yeah, he says he's going to bail her out. And then we turn to the other female who kind of is as close to Brooke as of uh, having some agency and being able to do whatever the fuck she wants, uh, even if she doesn't know what she's doing yet. Which one is that? Tracy. Tracy, yes. Oh, also... We find out uh, Brooke goes on the phone with her father and finds out he's not going to marry Tracy's mom because he's very heavily Christian now. Oh right. He's an atheist. That happens right before he says he's going to bail her out. Yeah, this happens earlier on. Which is kind of why she's fine with it. She's like, well, 
I guess nothing I was going to do is what I'm going to do. Yeah, n- <laughs> nothing <laughs> works out. But, but everything works out, but nothing works out. Right. Um, so at this point, then Nicolette uh, gets in a fight with Tony because of his being kissed by Tracy. And she gets revenge on Tracy because she stole the onion paper that her story was printed on. So she's got the story of Mistress America. Yeah. And she reveals, it's about Brooke. You wrote this story about Brooke. And then everybody reads it together. Everybody reads it. They have great eyesight because there's like nine of them and they're all like standing in a... They're standing as if they were like a nine-person elementary school class getting their photo taken. Right. You know, with the tall people in back, the pregnant lady in the second row, then the, the you know people crouching down, and they're all reading this onion skin thing. Whenever they try to turn the page, it's like, eh, uh, I'm not done yet. So they all have very good eyesight. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, yeah, and then... So Brooke is very upset about the depiction because the story essentially paints a... Uh, of almost paints Brooke in this uh, Tennessee Williamsy light of like this person trying to be young even though they're getting older, and I think Tracy compares it to like she's carrying the rotting carcass of her youth around with her, yeah. Um, which seems like a Blanche Dubois thing almost. <laughs> like, oh no, I'm I'm still a, a young woman. I think some suitors are gonna be calling. Anyway, um. And uh, everyone takes Brooke's side that it's totally unacceptable that Tracy wrote this uh, story using the fabric of Brooke's life uh, to, yeah, to fuel the story. Right, which is really bizarre. But anyway, we'll get into that. That is the later. most bizarre part. That of the is movie. yes, but um, so and yeah, everyone turns on Tracy. Everyone else stays the night, and Tracy walks to the train station, and takes a train home, or something like that. Oh, is that true? I, that well, part she I takes a train back. And her mom's waiting for her. Okay. And they present her with like a list of shit, and she's supposed to like apologize for not writing a, a story about like you know women not having a right to choose in Afghanistan or some shit like that. <laughs> I know that, that's the goofiest part of the movie. I know, but I mean it's re- it's really goofy, but also it does there's, I mean it is saying it is mirroring something in reality that that does kind of yeah yeah no. It's Especially among college kids. I, it's weird that maybe Claire would be the one to do it. I would expect Nicolette more to be the one to do it or something like that, but... Yeah, and then maybe Claire is suddenly totally on Brooke's side again. <laughs> but it's funny. It's very funny. Um, and it's so hilarious. It's hilarious. So, yeah, then she... Let me tell you some stories <laughs> on onion skin. That's what? amazing. Onion skin. I cannot do a heel hauser right now to save my life. Uh, who's Hugh Hauser? What, that guy from, uh, you know, Hugh, he was on, like, PBS, and he'd go to places, but he obviously didn't prepare for anything. He'd be like, <laughs> well, we showed up to the uh, Railroad Museum here in California, but it's closed. So I'm going to show you the side of the building, <laughs> and then we're going to look at some rocks. That's amazing. <laughs> I think I see a Denny's open there. We're going to try to go in and see if we can get seated. So you, sir, you collect these rocks? What's this one? Concrete aggregate. Well, did you just get that at the hardware store? You did. <laughs> <laughs> like that. that. I mean, that's that's a Dana Gold Corolla show a bit, but that I was <laughs> calling attention to, so I'll get credit for it. I'm not going to take that. But. That's good. That's, that's very big of you. Um... 
no. or small of me, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> so, so yeah, so Tracy uh, is back at her dorm, and uh, she gets into the Mobius Society. Oh, it's really funny. Like we learned that the kind of rite of passage of the Lit Society is at the very beginning of the movie. We learned, yeah, that. if you get chosen, uh, they come into your room and they throw a cream pie in your face. And so <laughs> that's actually a really funny scene where she doesn't get picked. And then she sticks her head out, and the walls are covered with pie. Yeah. And then the one other girl who didn't get picked is there, too. And she's like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> so pissed off to not have pie all and over her. The, and that's in, like, the first five, six minutes of the movies. And then you forget all about it. Right. Because all this other shit has happened. And then she goes back, and her mom's there, and she says, I'm not going home for Thanksgiving. And then yeah. she wakes up in the middle of the night with pie getting thrown in her face. And like start screaming as if it's a horror movie, right. and then <laughs> like, and <laughs> so you're kind of wondering what the fuck is going on too, because it's shot very much like that. Like the guys in a very high angle sort of position, like looking down on her with these creepy glasses, right? And uh, yeah, she starts screaming, and you're just like, oh right, the Mobius is like you've totally forgotten it's about like it by now. What the fuck is going on? So it's a really nice bookend. Yeah, no, it is. Um, yeah. Oh, and as you said, the mother to heal her broken heart is going to the Caribbean. Tracy is stuck alone at Thanksgiving. And Brooke is no longer talking to her. Right. Um, and so, but Tracy kind of, uh, she got into the society and she starts trying to kind of lead her own life. Uh, she's getting more mature. She talks with a counselor about maybe starting her own society because the lit society is priggish. And she even approaches Tony and Nicolette, who you'd think she had a falling out with. And she's like, well, I'd like to invite you to submit and become part of my society. So she's trying to mend her fences. Uh, mistakes were made, even though. Not really, uh, because Tracy, rightly in my opinion, doesn't think she's done anything wrong by using someone as inspiration for a story. But uh, but she's like, well, yeah, I'm going to press forward and uh, put my life back together. She still gets that published, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and she gets Mistress America published, because, yeah, she doesn't feel... In the Mobius Journal. Yeah, in the Mobius. Yeah. Um, so then the last thing to do, I guess, in terms of putting things right, is to go find Brooke. So she goes to her commercially zoned Times Square apartment that she'd been locked out of right. earlier. That yeah. was another part of her money troubles was she got locked out of her apartment. Well, it wasn't necessarily money trouble as much as it's just she was living in a commercially zoned place that was the dude beat lower. So she just gets in and out by going to fire escape. Oh, but that's not usual because I thought she goes through her front door and then it's like locked. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah, she finds out that... They found out. Oh, no, her boyfriend told her. Yeah. Her boyfriend was all pissed at her. Right, yes. Which is also weird because because her boyfriend cheated on her with a musician that they broke up, and then he pulled out of the restaurant because they were breaking up, and then he calls her landlord and, like, tells him that she's in a commercially zoned place and living in it. You dick. Which is kind of like a really dick boyfriend. It's like, you cheated on her. Like, why are you pissed at her? No, I just... Pick one dickish thing to do, dick. But then maybe also she was kind of being a bitchy girlfriend because we know she can be a bitchy person, so maybe it's just like, I fucking hate this guy. I hate this guy. I want to get away from this guy. And with Brooke, <laughs> the presented story is never quite the full story. Either. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe they were never even, like, dating. <laughs> she was just yeah. stalking him. <laughs> Any of these interpretations are possible. Yeah, exactly. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, because you never see him. So yeah, so the nice uh, the nice neighbor downstairs is having Thanksgiving, and he lets Tracy climb up the fire escape. Yep, because um, he like knows nice she's guy. up there because yeah, yeah yeah they they gave the part to the racial minority and then said he's the nicest guy in the film. Make sure we got that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was intentional. 
Yeah, he's he really <laughs> nice. He's yeah. totally understanding. Yeah. Um, he's, he's also like living in commercially zone place. Uh, yeah. So I guess she could be like. Like I, I know those trouble. Listen, N word. If you don't let me into my apartment, I'll tell them. <laughs> but thankfully, the film I went a different it. way. <laughs> um, so yeah, she goes up to Trace to Brooke's window and knocks, and Brooke is looking at her pissed off and like, "What do you want? Like, can I come in?" She's like, "Fine, you can come in." And we see that maybe Brooke has, in some ways, forgiven Tracy because she has a copy of the Mobius on her coffee table. Um, but she hasn't called her to talk to her, and she's leaving. Uh, because, yeah, like you said, all the plans fell through, so fuck it. Leaving New York, going to Los Angeles. That's what you get for being a giant C-word. Yeah. <laughs> um, going to Los Angeles where, uh, as Brooke notes, uh, she will qualify as well-read. Uh, can't resist a good New York VLA joke. The crossword is just not up. True. Oh, yes. It only is up to snuff if you do it in a mirror. Yeah. Or if you, you do snuff off of e it. backwards. Oh, wait. You were just... Okay. You already did a snuff joke. All right. Wait, I did? Off the mirror? Wait, is that... In... in snuff? Yeah. Uh, just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm quoting Aviator Lines. I really need to work on quoting movies out of context. No, I don't. Uh, so this is like basically the ending of the movie, and they uh, they kind of make tenuous amends. Uh, but Brooke is going to be gone, so it's kind of a parting, uh, but on amicable terms. And Tracy says, "Oh, well it's going to be weird, like to not to look at New York City and not think of you as being there. Like you're you were a huge formative step in my growth into adulthood." Also, she noticed that she had a copy of the journal. Yeah, she no, yeah, the Mobius so was on the copy. Yeah, so she's like, "Oh, she read the story, like for reals." Yeah, yeah, and as a last kind of peace offering, she says, "You want to have Thanksgiving with me?" And she starts crying, and she goes, "Okay," and and yeah, and they so they eat at a restaurant. They eat at a restaurant. And there's kind of a the epilogue, voiceover epilogue, which basically is Tracy saying like, yeah, Brooke is this kind of uh, full of shit character, but there's a value in that she's, uh, you know, everyone else is getting their shit together and wanting to be rich. And she's like, she wants to be rich too, but she's actually better than that because she's a symbol for lost and aimless people everywhere, uh, like Tracy. And that's how Tracy will remember her. Exactly. And it's nice. And also, uh, there's another moment where she looks at her and goes like, and this is like only my, f- this isn't even my college story. This is like my first semester of college. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more stories. But I mean, also, having been to college, kind of the shit you do in the first year becomes your, your stories, because after that, then you kind of start, well, most people get interested in their studies if they didn't uh, flunk out, <laughs> and then by then... Do they? I don't know, like, all the shit that I tell is about you coming to visit, like, <laughs> you know, my first or second semester. No, yeah, it's true. Like, yeah. after the second year, you know, very few shenanigans. It was more just like a pit of depression and going off to quarry to smoke pot and just, like, read an Orson Scott card book instead of doing the reading I should be doing for Polly's Eye or whatever. <laughs> I, I was maybe, like, all, each year had its moments. But I'm very shy, so my first year I was kind of quiet. 
And then for the next two hours of the podcast, Rob and Brady reminisce and um, overcoming their depression in college. By the way, um, something I realized is, like, my depression kind of went away when I started drinking caffeine. Like, I mean, like, serious caffeine, like coffee. So, um, for those of you who are in college or high school, um, and you're depressed and you're thinking about killing yourself, um, start drinking coffee. It helps. One of the health benefits of coffee is it elevates mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, citation, stuff you should know, uh, episode from shortly after Christmas, this past Christmas. Yeah, dropping shit news. Yeah, I gotta, gotta do it because people are gonna be like, you're full of shit, Rob. I'm gonna be like, well, I'm not dead. And also, this podcast said it. And it's a valid source now because it's got valid sources. It's, a, it's like a tertiary source, man. Rob getting down with the audio footnote. That's an asterisk. So trying to do a check. That's two asterisks. That's the asterisk and a cross. <laughs> you know the little mm. cross? Yeah. Yeah, I know, oh yeah, I know the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that guy used to go, that was a period, and he'd go, whoop. Who was that? And that was an exclamation point. Whoop. That was a... Was that a substitute teacher? Mm, there was a substitute teacher who did it, but it was actually on a TV show or something. It was uh, like a, a bit part on the Wordsmith TV show or something like that. Oh, uh, okay. I can't remember. I probably heard it was a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, this is like seventh grade or something. We've known each other for a long time, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so why don't we take a little break and then do, uh, what the fuck's it called? Uh, understudy. Then yep. we'll come back and we'll talk about the movie a bit. And then... Uh, we'll do some Metacritical, and then we'll wrap it. Good. Alright. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway, so try to get the actors, try to get the movies, Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch. This game called Understudy is happening, happening, happening right now. How long have you been divorced? Uh, About four years. Mm, And was it mutual? Uh, No, not really. Mm. (laughs) Can I get a number? Uh, Of course. Imagine the time it would save. Uh, sometimes I think we should just all wear sounds around her neck. Get it all out there. What do you say? Uh, what would yours say? Well, mine? What would mine say? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a slob. I have ear hair. Mm, you know, there, there are ways to get rid of ear hair. I'm fully aware. Taken care of. A slob, huh? Not the dirty hoarder kind. Just the normal kind. Mm, does your daughter live with you? Half the time. Does she mind your normal kind of mess? Oh, no, darling, I'm not that bad. Both she and the mother of every niece, they love the store, the, the Christ, the empty box store. The container store? Yeah, a whole store that sells crap that you put your crap in so you can buy more crap. Ah. I love that store. <laughs> so did my ex-wife, and she put it in a very flowery, overpriced boxes. You know, they sell those in some manly designs, Manly you know. designs? Yeah, browns, little cowboys. Little cowboys? Well, if they did, my wife would have bought them because she tries very hard to domesticate me. Living with someone else is not easy. People's 
I don't like onions in my guacamole, right? So I take a chip and kind of swirl it around, and all the onions were on one side, and I could eat it. It had a drove her banana. Seems kind of harmless. Completely, but by the end of a marriage, it made her gag. Well, that's not nice. You have a uh, lovely hand. Oh, thank you. I, I would have thought since you're a masseuse that you would have big uh, manly hands, but actually they're uh, very lovely. Well, you have nice hands too. Ah, thank you. They're <laughs> kind of like paddles. Did they just turn the music louder? No, I, I, th- I, I think it just got older. All right, all right. My voice was a little bit quieter there, but I think we got rid of that annoying hum from the first half. Good. Maybe. I don't know. I'm sorry. I let my recording equipment some Sherlock nerds, and now I have this horrible hum. Um, yes. Or actually, I haven't listened to the past two podcasts we did, so maybe it's my fault. No. If the past three podcasts, including this one, have a hum on them, it's my fault. Um, if not. Then there's a mystery. A <laughs> Sherlock I mystery. I think I can deduce this one away. Anyway, I guess we need those Sherlock nerds to listen to our cast, although they never will, because, uh, well, my Sherlock nerd thinks that this cast is just me being an asshole. And she's not wrong, but she's n- not right. So no, no, you've, you've mellowed, I, I think. I figured I'd mellowed a lot, yeah. And I have gotten angrier and angrier. And so that's nice. We have that going for Yeah, us. I think you've gotten angrier. I think <laughs> I asked you to. Oh, wait. Uh, you did. Yeah. You asked me to bring the drama. What can I say? And I said I'd bring the funny. And uh, and what can you say? Nothing funny. <laughs> 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 All right. So, so now Good. let's talk about this movie. Now Let's play the understudy theme again. Man, we are really running out of ways to take up time. <laughs> I think we've already got. Can we? Can yeah, we we're hit metacritical. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got lots of notes. You've got lots of notes. What do you want to yeah. talk about first? Um. Well. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, how did you like it? Let's talk about. Oh yeah, we haven't even gotten that far yet. I love this movie. It's an A for me. Oh, nice. Well, good. For reasons I I'll talk about soon, but we're going on 45 minutes already. <laughs> and Well, the first 40 has horrible audio, <laughs> so... Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Anything Anything else? Uh, we'll talk about it. Okay. So then, how did I like it? How did you like it? I liked it a lot. Um, I It rose a lot. This is my second viewing. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, cool. Like, I thought it was a B plus. Like, I really laughed, and then kind of got derailed a bit with the movie uh, during the Connecticut scene where things do take kind of an almost unreality where they're in a screwball play. Um, I also watched it the first time with Tess. Uh, Tess didn't like it all that much, uh, so I might have also been like watching with, with someone who wasn't super keen on the film, even though Tess didn't like dislike it. She just didn't like some of the more writerly stuff. But anyway, this movie climbs up a lot me on the second viewing it's 
it's uh, way more cohesive than I thought, and it's wall to wall funny. Like so many of these lines are just like, it's one of those movies that's hard to review. Like if I wrote a review about this, it would be difficult to do it justice because so much of it is in just the like every every not even minute, every like twenty seconds is a, a super quotable or interesting or insightful uh, line. So. Yeah, I'm going to move it up to an A- because it's cool, man. It's a really great movie, and I love Greta Gerwig from Frances Ha, uh, girlfriend of Noah Baumbach, and the writer on uh, on both Frances Ha and Mistress America. So she's a great actress and a a great writer, too. And I just said I'm not going to pay attention to the audio anymore. Just only... Is it going or not? That's kind of important. You need to like go. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking crack. Okay. Sorry. Uh, we haven't quite gotten back into the swing of this thing, I guess, yet. Um, bullshit. Um, yeah, I like Radica Wick. <laughs> 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 and I liked Francis Ha. <laughs> he says <And> lustily. <laughs> yeah. I like that credit card. <laughs> well, and I like Francis Ha, and um, I like Noah Baumbach. And are they still dating, or are they just going to work together now? Uh, last I checked, they were dating. But oh, okay. Well, that's good. I don't know. I don't read the hipster tabloids. Which ones are those? <laughs> the ones that tell me when <laughs> Noah Baumbach's dating someone. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's true. Uh the last one I read said he was no longer wearing skinny jeans and everybody had to rethink their style. Wow. Yeah, I know. I went there for Butterfly that. Butterfly flaps its wings. Okay, so um, mm, what do I think this is all about? Um, wait, we did Hey, Hey, How Did You Like It? I just said A and then didn't say anything. And then <laughs> <laughs> uh, time is kind of becoming nonlinear for me right now. <laughs> Oh, God, it's all the nonlinear notepad. <laughs> it's like a cursed <laughs> monkey's paw. <laughs> I want to be able to write and think nonlinearly. All right, here's, an, here's a sketchbook. <laughs> now, what are we doing next week before we go any further with what this movie's about? <laughs> okay. Um, I think I wrote that this film is an exercise in the invidu- individual versus the archetypes. Also... I think this film is kind of a um, Baumbach is trying to uh, show us how perhaps through, um, I mean, almost uh, autobiographically perhaps, how the relationship between Tracy and Brooke um, are kind of mirrors of his past self or one's past self. It doesn't necessarily have to be him, but I think it kind of is. Um, How his past self, let's just say it is, it's easier for me to phrase this that way, I think Baumbach is trying to show us through his writing how um, his past self is Tracy and it's critiquing his kind of maybe recently past self or where he thinks he's going in the future. Um, and then that Brooke is also doing that to Tracy, looking back at the past past self, going like, oh, how, how naive are you? How idealistic? How blah, blah, blah. Oh, you think you're so, like, cool. Or Don't be incompetent. Yeah, you're Just fucking incompetent. Just look at the yeah. instructions. It's, yeah, exactly. That kind of shit. So I think it's uh, an exercise in um, getting disgusted with uh, either who you're becoming. Um, fuck, I can't even speak. 
getting disgusted with who you were or your previous self kind of realizing how disgusted that that person would be with who you are now but at the same time feeling all right with it and just being open with the the changes that have to go um and then also there's all these little millennial touches that i like i've got two big boxes full of them like you know one's like the cracked cell phone screen how that's like a cool thing to have the crap there calling a voicemail not leaving a message uh, smoking a joint in a taxi cab. I don't think you could do that any generation previously to, well, I guess in the 60s you could have, but only if you had a really cool cabbie uh, because there were a lot more Brooklyn-y uh, taxi driver kind of cabbies back then. Right. Yeah. Uh, the fact people say WTF out, like they don't go like, what the fuck? They say WTF, man. Um, th- that whole thing you were talking about, can you start the coffee? Uh, the super jealous girlfriend. I think that's probably there. I have some other boxes on like collegiate, like nostalgia touches. Um, let me see what else we got. Uh, using a word and then asking if it's a real word. That's kind of a millennial thing. Not knowing what kind of pasta to buy because it matters. That that is something I never would. And I am a millennial, but I'm on the front edge of it. I don't think I ever would have been like. What kind of pasta should I get? I would uh, fuck it. I'm just getting spaghetti. <laughs> That's what I'm getting. What's on sale? Yeah, I mean, or just what shape do I want my pasta to be? Yeah, but she's buying it for her cool new older friend, so she wants to impress. Yeah, I know she wants to impress, but no one's gonna be impressed by your pasta. What the fuck kind of thought is that? It's silly. She'll learn that in ten years. It's silly. Just silly. Don't silly. Um, what else we got? The idea of fault never being anyone's. That's something that somebody says at some point in time. Um, it's just like, uh, yeah, but that's not my fault. Well, it's never anyone's fault. Yeah, I think that's a millennial thing, you know, since nobody wants to take responsibility for everything. Right. That's just me being an old cop to be millennial. (laughs) Uh, so there's a lot about that. And then there's also this, like, 80s, 2000s similarities. Um, spin classes, they showed up in the 80s, and also they're back. Oh, uh, yeah, no, they are popular now, I yeah. think. Marketing language, uh, like calling an Instagram a gram. It's like, hey, let's get real slick and say, uh, I've dropped a gram. And then she looked at it and went, hey, cool, man, blah, 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 blah. How uh, do you cram all that gram? The whole... <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Um, uh, the belief in the supernatural thing, like the kitschy fortune teller thing, that's kind of like late 70s, early 80s-ish. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I need to go consult with my fortune teller. I think that kind of went out. Like, I think it became very scientific and technological from 90s to 2000s. Maybe uh-huh. back in the 2015s, we're, we're embracing more of that spiritual tarot kind of th- uh, sort of stuff. You know, kind of like how Newton was into alchemy, and he was also into super, 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 super science and proving all that shit. Uh, And then also the idea of fault not being anybody's. (laughs) That was an 80s thing as well. Hey, man, it's not our fault. That's just how the market works, man. So, uh, yeah, I think it's all about those things. And I've got more to say, but I'll I'll take a break. Okay. Um... Yeah, I uh, I like what you're saying, man. Uh, I think, not terribly dissimilar from what you said, I think it's about, uh, yes, this kind of like, kind of the idea that 
no matter what age you are, everyone's in their kind of own state of aimlessness where they, uh, to quote a line from the psychic late in the movie, uh, we're five feet to the left of ourselves and unhappy. Uh, and I think it's looking at this character who's, as we said, both kind of full of it, um, a little bit self-deluded, but also kind of hits on things. And I think it's Tracy's kind of realizing like, well, people aren't perfect. And this person that I initially idolized, she's not perfect, uh, but there's still a value in bullshit. I, I think it's about the value of bullshit. People put so much stress and emphasis on like, am I, am I being absolutely right? How am I supposed to be? That there's almost something liberating to someone who just kind of flies, uh, flies by the seat of their pants and crafting an identity for themselves. And some of it might be, uh, a lot of just jibber jabber and not mean much, but, uh, but they're, it's theirs. They've invented it for themselves. And we see that in a lot of the characters. It's definitely there in Brooke, who, you know, Mistress America, that title, I don't think we said, is based on, like, <laughs> a crazy TV show that she wants to come up with it because she says TV is the new novel. Um, but she's the main kind of person who symbolizes this idea of just, like, making things up as you go along and kind of never having a full handle on yourself, but maybe that's okay. But it's also in a lot of the other characters. It's in Dylan, who seems to have the perfect life, but deeply desires to go back to that college radio station. Uh, it's in Tracy, as you say, who, uh, with an adult's remove, you can see where she thinks she's very smart, but doesn't nearly have things figured out. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's about the value of... Both, both the hypocrisy and the value of being a bullshitter. I, w I will say that also in the whole idea of the difference between kind of like or the similarities between the 80s and the 2000s, there's also this whole, uh, there's this, because it's, it's a for first semester of college movie, there's this whole looming thing that's like Thanksgiving that gets mentioned several times. The whole reason they hook up as sisters is because they're going to do Thanksgiving together, and it's going right. to be a big family thing. And, you know, when everything comes crashing down, Brooke's talking to her father. He says, no, we're not getting married. She's not really committed to the church. It's not going to work out. And she says something like, oh, I'll okay, I'll just hang out by myself for Thanksgiving. I'll just do something depressing but young. And then uh, at the same time, once Tracy has her, f her falling out with the whole group and everything falls apart, um, then she goes and uh, talks to her mom, who's waiting in her hotel room, and says, yeah, yeah, we called it off, too. And um, uh, is it okay if I go on a cruise and you just chill for Thanksgiving? Like, so there's this sort of, uh, there's this sort of, like, just, just highlight on the breakdown of family values and how it's, like, this thing that you're looking forward to and... Uh, you know, that that age and many ages are about finding your own sort of family, I think. Yeah. Like, th it, there's just, like, an inkling of that, and there doesn't say anything super poignant about it, but it's just this, there's a theme. No, no, I think you you're know? on to something. Because I think in that way, it's also, and maybe this word sounds as heavy with negative connotation, and I don't mean it negatively at all, actually, uh, which is the kind of mindset this movie puts me in, is when I watch Mistress America, I can say the word failure, and I don't mean that negatively at all. Like, it's, it's kind of almost a positive take on failure. It's like, well, things don't go exactly as planned. You won't be exactly the person you want to be. The restaurant you want to open won't open. Uh, things will go off. And the big family Thanksgiving you had planned on having with your new sister-in-law will fall through. But uh, 
You can still go to a cafe and have a nice dinner. Uh, you can patch things up and, and make do and, yeah, throw some scotch tape on your failure and uh, bind yourself up. You'll be okay. No matter how things go, you'll be fine. And I think uh, that's kind of what Brooke symbolizes to Tracy is, well, like, even though we may feel lost and aimless, like, she's a symbol of hope that that's okay. Yeah, to drop another uh, podcast, I was listening to, I mean, to speak to that, I was listening to this podcast called Resume, done by Chris Loxamani yesterday, and there was a screenwriter called uh, Dean Laurie who was on, and he, he said something like that. He was like, I think nowadays, and you know, even stemming from the 80s when I started, so that ties in very well, um, people tend to define careers based on successes, and careers are a lot more defined by fail- failures than successes. Like any screenwriter he knows, any producer he knows, anybody has done way more um, failing than they did succeeding. It's just that nobody ever sees it. Right. And so, like, we have this hidden aspect of failure behind us and in, in all these things. Like, you know, her failing uh, to get into Mobius and then succeeding to get into Mobius and that actually being a failure. And uh, the thing is, everybody will see that as a success and she's just like, I don't want to be at those self-entitled, self-elected douchebags. Right. Like, you know that that's a failure to be true to yourself or so you know what is failure and what isn't failure everyone else is going to look at it and be like oh you failed to open your restaurant it's just like uh, uh if you're seeing that uh it's probably a success if, yeah. it's, if it's visible the change that i took it's probably a success if uh there's a bunch of invisible hidden stuff those are actually the failures that Nobody ever sees. Like nobody's ever going to see the confrontation at the end with the big group of people. She published her shit. Right. No one's ever going to notice that everybody around her <laughs> decided that what she wrote was awful. Um, speaking to that, by the way, uh, I felt like that was trying to say something when they were. Ooh, I got a couple more millennial boxes here. Your tragedy is your armor, and nothing is ever your fault. That was a line. Uh, very millennial. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'm sick of staring at electronics, and then I get excited, uh, but then I can't stop staring at the electronics. Uh, very telling about millennials. Um, yeah, and she wants a name for that disease. I know that disease. Yeah, I know it too. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, but I don't know if I ever kind of fall into that as as badly as uh, some of my peers. Brady, <coughs> uh, I'm so impressed by you and so worried for you at the same time. That might speak to that kind of failure, right? Back and so I'm just throwing lines out now because there are so many lines in this Baumbach thing that are poignant, but again, spoken from the vantage point of a person who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, this is kind of like a verbal equivalent of um, I was recently writing, I'm still writing my review for The Assassin, and the issue I was running into is like. This is a film full of like really beautiful, awesome images, but go tell that in a review. And with this, it's like the verbal equivalent. It's like I can say these lines are great, but <laughs> you just need to watch the movie because there are so, so, so many of them. It's just like a, a really dense volume of like witty, witty lines. Yeah, I was also going to say that scene at the end when the exposing of Tracy's story happens. Um, it's interesting because you see everybody reading it. And if you just look at the people, it's like... Um, She's at the beginning of her college career, and she's got the these archetypes of kind of what society says a woman can become. Uh, they're all just sitting there. So right. like, there's the uh, the career housewife. There's the pregnant lady. There's um, you know the outdoor out there spacey one meadow 
or Brooke that she wrote the story about. Right. Uh, there's the jealous girlfriend. There's you know there's all these archetypes of what a woman can be, and Tracy has kind of chosen to be none of those, and and cast a critique on them almost, or cast a critique on herself for, you know, if 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 Meadow is her future self or whatever it is, but cast a c- critique on all that, and then they all slam her <laughs> for that. And they go like, you didn't, and then, I mean, I think this might have been pushing it. Uh, for the film, and it probably could have done a little better. I like it anyhow, but when she presents her with like the, how, how you know you haven't done something for a woman with your story, blah blah blah. You know, again another archetype. Like, um, it's like okay, fine. If you're if you're gonna break out of these archetypes, then you have to do something for women in Afghanistan with pregnancy. Or like, are you right. actually pro-choice? Are you really? She's like, yes. I don't understand what that has anything to do. I was just writing a fucking story. Like, does it all have to be about that? No, yeah. I d- so, I mean, it seems to say that it's like your life has to either all be all about being a mother or all about being a jealous uh, girlfriend or all about being, you know, something in relation to a man. Or if you choose not to do those things, well, you better be doing something really important with not doing th- one of those. Right. No, that's interesting. Um, even though I will say I don't think Tracy's blameless. I think she says a line about Brooke that I think can just as easily apply to her or to anyone, and it's, uh, she says that Brooke is incredibly precise with seeing the world and describing the world, but can't accurately see herself within it, and I think that's a problem that everyone has. So Tracy kind of sees herself as this kind of neutral, removed, blameless figure uh, watching these imperfect people, but I think with anyone, you're part of it. You're one of the imperfect people as well, and if anything, I, I what I like about it is, uh, to me, it means that these labels, like, we have them, but they don't stick. Like, no one is the label they wear. Like, uh, there's always more to the person than the label you stick on them. Uh, because deep down under it, everyone, like you say, Rob, is a failure in their own way. Everyone hasn't lived up to their own expectation or someone else's expectation in some way. What looks like perfection and what looks like failure is uh, something more multifaceted. You ever think of algebra? I mean, X can be like any number. X X isn't any number. X X doesn't roll like that. X can't be pinned <laughs> down. This is good. I, w- I want you to do this because the only way to really convey this is to s- periodically say funny lines. I'd feel sorry for the 13-year-old girl that was you, but I don't feel sorry for the you now. <laughs> Here's one that's like totally like, what does that even mean that I like? She's like, I thought I might actually go to college. I'm not an amputee. Like, wait, why? Do amputees not go to college? <laughs> There's no cheating when you're 18. You should all be touching each other all of the time. <laughs> I love how she says that. <laughs> I like it when she gets angry. Yeah. And neither should you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Greta Gerwig's great in that way. What else do we got here? Uh, you know, I already said this one. If you don't promote yourself, how will people know what you're selling? What are you selling? So many things! <laughs> Oh, the one I love is when, like, someone's filming her kissing a guy with a camera phone, and she's like, must we document ourselves all the time? Must we? <laughs> but it's in a performance to the camera right, that yeah. she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, 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 actually, <laughs> for some reason, I wrote down that when I, uh, when they, she says to Tony at the beginning, do you want to trade stories? I wrote, do you want to true stories? <laughs> and I, I just thought of the talking heads thing, and I was just like, such a hipster mishearing of me. 
<laughs> okay, well, I think that this jumping around um, kind of uh, explanation of the whole thing has been just as jumpy aroundy as uh, all the ideas floating around in the movie. Um, and I think we should split and do alcohol. I agree. All right, let's do that. Let's see if this shit works. That didn't come through at all. Play it again. Sam. There we go. Rob's never gonna win. A metacritical. Brady's a victor again. So it's time to play. I'm gonna lose today. Metacritical, yeah, it's time. So, what should we start with, Francis High, or do you not know off the top of your head? I think I kind of know that. The ow! I just hit my face on the microphone trying to reach for a pen and then a piece of paper. Uh, what should we start with then? We should start with uh, Margot at the wedding. Okay, I don't know that one, so you have to go first. It's Bombbox. Uh, it's seen as Bombbox least good, but it has it has serious defenders. All right, you go first since I... Nicole Kidman and Jennifer Jason Leigh. So you go first since uh, I... Um, I'm going to go 65. I was going to go 72. See if I can get the Defender vote. That would Ooh, be Street great. Street Fighter 5's out. <coughs> cool. Brady's one off at 66. Ooh. Well, he's at 65, but it's 66, so I'm six off. That's not too bad. At least it wasn't a bullseye for the bastard. Right. Um, 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 how about movie. we go and we follow Nicole Kidman and do Eyes Wide Shut? Okay. Because you don't know the score for that, right? No. Ooh, that's going to be a tough one, and you went first last time, so no. That's going to be hard for me. I'm going to go with 89. Really is a good movie. I don't think it was thought of as that high, but I think in retrospect, especially with Metacritical coming in a little later. Yeah, I might have had time to age. Yes. What do you think? Um, I kind of agree with you, but at the same time, I'm going to go 75. That sequel was horrible. Uh, 68. 68. So wait, what'd you guess? 75? Yes. Damn. Yeet. Yeah, that is a really low score for that movie. Uh, do you want to follow it with another Kubrick? We'll just trace that way. Uh, that'll be interesting since yeah. most of them are... Yeah, tr but try to take a Kubrick but go with something that's got an actor that we can jump to after. Ha ha ha. Well then, uh... It's going to make Full Metal Jacket hard. We don't get many Arlie Ermy movies. It's true. He was in some stuff, though. Um, Dr. Strangelove would be pretty easy. But then who would we jump to? Who would be on Metacritic? George C. Scott, or you could use... Yeah, but I guess this is older. I don't know, man. That's a tough one. That's a tough Batty Linden? Huh? Batty, Batty Linden. Okay. You, you suggest the score for Barry Linden. I think Barry Lyndon 
Might have gotten an 82. I think I'll take a lower scale of it then and say 72. Just to up my chances here. That's a great movie. Oh, yeah, wait, we did, didn't we do that? Yeah, we did a Metacritical event, or uh, an understudy. Yes, but I haven't seen it, so I didn't know what we were doing. Oh, yeah. I spelled it wrong. B-A-R-R-Y-L-Y-N-D-O-N. L-Y-N-D-O-N? Yes. Yes. Yeah, no. Nothing. All right, let's go with uh, AI. Okay. Yeah. Wildcat. Uh, <laughs> AI, that's, a, that's another in the... That's like an eyes wide shut because it was underrated in its day and now people are... Yeah. Now people, some people think it's like Spielberg's best, or one of his best films. Um, let me go with a 70. Okay, I'm going to go with 64. Okay. hard it just came up with a lot of stuff that had the letters a and i in it <laughs> i'm talking to the mic while i sort this out okay um i don't have anything to say because i haven't Podcast, seen the movie you just have shit to say <laughs> i know i know um let's see what's in the news uh the revenant's probably going to win best picture so that's okay i nightmare. got it 65 65. Wow, you're close. Yes, that's one off. But I actually gained up some points there. All right, we can follow that with a Spielberg. Even though that was a Spielberg, but it was a Kubrick, but it was a Spielberg. You could follow it up with a Haley Joel Osment. Oh, okay, let's do that. Oh, what's that terrible movie? Pay it forward. Oh, that's a tricky one because it's a bad movie, but critics really liked it. No, they didn't. Oh, okay. Not that much. 52. Yeah, I'm going to go like 48. Forty. Forty. Fuck. Uh, we got That's one left to go, movie. huh? All right, well, let's just go with uh, Sixth Sense. And okay. Is it me? Uh, I guess it's me. <coughs> Actually, no, I went first last time. Shit. 77. 85. Sixty-four, really? Wow. Yeah, that, that I thought critics loved that. Nah, the public did. Uh, I mean, critics did like it, but I guess not that many. Yeah, it probably fell down over time. Well, that was my hope. I mean, if it was at like eighty something, I would have maybe made up enough points on that, but I did not. I think it got a best picture nomination because it made very all the very money. Very clear that I did not win this game. 
Very, very, very clear. Do we, do we want a number? Yeah. Yeah, because we have to. Um, all right. Let's. Okay. Ipon? In second place, Rob with 61. And I have 34. Yeah, you bastard. Didn't he get like seven last week or something like that? Yeah, or I went positive a couple weeks ago. I made a critical. Bastard. Rob's never gonna win. I made a critical. I'm ready for victory again. So it's time to play. <laughs> I'm gonna lose. <laughs> oh, that's not the right one. Metacritical, yeah, it's time. There, it's the right one. God, I'm fucking wrong. I'm just wrong at everything. I like how you sound so far away on that. <laughs> that's my motivation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Okay, so uh, next week, I mean, do we have more to say about the movie? Um, we s- we kind of just scatter shot. I it. really like it. Yeah, I really liked it too. Uh, it, what was the change in the first time you watched it? The second time you watched it? Um, I, l- I mean, a lot of like movies that age well is just remembering like when I'm first one thing when I'm first watching it, I'm trying to put together what it's all about. Uh, so my mind, I, I, which I need to yeah, stop. Don't justify this. why you didn't realize that it was good. No, no, I realized it was. I gave it a B plus, and I realized it was well written, and I laughed a lot. Um, uh, like I said, it became more cohesive on a second viewing, where I realized that, like, yeah, it, it's funny and insightful, and also those funny insights aren't so disparate. Um, and the bigger thing is that, like, uh, the <laughs> screwball scene in Connecticut. Stuck out a lot on the first viewing. Some of those lines still do feel like weird. Like here, here's like one example. We already said the fact of like them all reading the story and saying it sucked. Like that feels a little forced. Well, that didn't feel forced, but the whole like uh, the woman thing. Yeah, that does. That feels forced. Here's a big one that doesn't feel natural to me is uh, when like Tony and Mamie Claire are sparring, and then he's like, "What? Women can get pregnant when they're 12. and she's like, "Fuck you." And it's supposed to be this funny line, but it's like they didn't even feel like they had that much like tension between them. Like those characters barely interact at all. And it just felt like it was building up the screwballness without necessarily feeling um, organic. But, you know, that's only one line. And that that scene is so funny. Like all of it is so funny. And it actually builds thematically better uh, with the rest of the story than I remembered. So, yeah, it's just a more cohesive piece of work. And it's uh, really, really enjoyable to watch. Excellent. Um, yeah, so it went up like a grade for you from a B plus to an A minus. Yeah, that's for me, lot. it went from a B plus to an A. So, I mean, for me, that's not a grade, that's like, well, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's the minimum you can <laughs> possibly <laughs> change something. It, well, I, I have the bait finest, so it, it bypassed the B oh, plus A minus. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, like, so basically, what you were saying is, is it was like a an 88 and it bypassed the bean to 90, which is halfway in between, if you do a pure mathematics standpoint. It was like an 86. It got up to like a 92. Yeah, it went from like an 86 to a 92. Well, That's 86 about. is a B. 
87 is a B plus. That's what it would be. Plus. All right, 87. Then. Yeah. Because 84, 85, and 86 are Bs. 87 is depending on the teacher, but yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. Yeah, all right. Well, mine went from like a B plus to a A. You jump past a lot of movies. Yeah, yeah, just a number of movies. Yeah, it's just like uh, it was like one of those fucking Mortal Kombat mountain climbing fucking fighting yeah. through people that like you got some power up and just went straight to Kowloon. <laughs> 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 it's not a person, is it? Ah, shows you how much I know video games. Um, Set Sung, Mount Set Sung, no. Um, Shaolin, yeah. Uh, Sung, that's his name. Shang Sung wins. Yes, <laughs> Mao said Sung wins. Okay, so what should we do next week? Um, should I check if we have suggestions? You could do that. Uh, well, okay, but uh, you can give a suggestion while I'm doing that. Or um, I'll I'll keep it with Greta Gerwig. Uh, first Greta Gerwig film I saw, uh, Damsels in Distress. Um, it's one of those movies that's kind of like it seems modest, but I liked it. And the more I think about it, I'd like to see it again. It's like a comedy, and she's uh, a very interesting uh, sorority girl. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting movie. Kind of deadpan. All right, and then suggestions. We also have Station Agent, which I need to take off there because we did it. Oh, yeah, we could do that again. We have <laughs> we have The Warrior's Way and the 1984 Ghostbusters. We've done... I thought we've done Ghostbusters. Yeah, oh no. We haven't we done it. We haven't. We watched it at your house, but we didn't We Did didn't we? do it. Well, we all, like, for Halloween a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, that was a while ago, but we didn't do a podcast on it. No, we didn't. And then, let me see, what could I suggest? 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 You know, I'd kind of like to re-watch live Upstream Color. Okay. Wait, is it just Upstream Color? Upstream Color. Where do I get the live from? Like um, I think somebody called it live upstream color to me like four or five times. And uh. it was like a conversation and they kept saying like, the thing you have to understand about live upstream color. It, and then it just got stuck in my head is that. <laughs> <laughs> that person sounds annoying. <laughs> and his name is Kamran. Oh, no, Kamran. No, I, I love Kamran. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But now we've called him annoying. on. <laughs> so now I can tag That's him in the fair. podcast. <laughs> No, I got no. you. <laughs> Actually, maybe he didn't say it. I don't know who said it. I think Comron's the one who promoted it to me. So for some reason, I think I got live. I'm sure. What if you just put live in front of any movie? Like, uh, live casino. <laughs> live Rocky. Live old yeller. <laughs> um, shit, so what are the suggestions? Live Damn old yeller would be false advertising. <laughs> Live damsel in distress, live uh, upstream color, live Ghostbusters or live Warriors Way, which I think the last one would be pronounced "Live Warriors Way." So it's like a an axiom as a motto. Yeah. Live Warriors Way. Uh, which are you? It's actually the Warriors Way. So live the Warriors. Live the way. War- that that sounds more. Oh, it's that's what you're voting for. Um. I don't. I don't know what the Warriors' Way is. Uh, I think it's just a martial arts movie my sister suggested. She thought I'd like. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I need to vote for one of these four. Yes. And I can't vote for my own, right? That's. Yeah, you can. That'd be w- I mean, cause like, isn't 
Aren't I automatically endorsing my own by suggesting it? Yeah, but once you vote, if you vote for your own, then I can either hang us and then we have to Rochambeau or I can be like, okay, I'll go with your shit. I see. You know, because I'll know that what my vote will do. We've already been through this on many podcasts. This is like a really unprecise science. I know. Um, You you go first. Let me... Let me see where things uh, are headed. Okay, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Okay. Um, all right, I will vote for my own. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I vote for my own, Joe Rogan! Well, that wasn't a choice. <laughs> Joey Diaz, have that's... A movie. <laughs> okay, so we'll do one, two, three, shoot. We'll do evens and odds, right? Yeah. Not two out of three, just one time. Yeah. Okay, we just do it one time. <laughs> Wait, so am right, I I'm taking or? evens. All right, and I'm odds. All right, one, two, three, shoot. Evens. All right. I win. We're doing Ghostbusters. Well, it's hard to feel bad about that. <laughs> exactly. It's okay. We've done two Greta Gerwigs in the past, whatever. I don't know uh, why yeah. the hell I got to this voice. So, but, uh, At least neither of us have no dick. We got to get out of the studio. People need to do laundry. Laundry. Oh, that's... I listened to that pod. I listened to their laundry podcast. Oh, I just meant that the laundry machines are here. No, I listen to Jordan and Nora and Ethan and Emily and Maddie's. You don't know they have a your house does a laundry pod. I th- I would have thought you were. Uh, well, anyway, they, maybe they fucked up the first half of this audio on this podcast. Maybe they did, and they need some showing how to do it. Hey, podcasting is competitive. Hey. I can't blame them for. Maybe I need to show them a thing or two. Maybe break some mics. Yeah, they're my mics, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> Actually, none of these are my mics. Oh, good. Then break them. Okay. Well, let's wrap up, and I'm sure we'll find a good fucking uh, drop, and I would try not to use the N-word one. <laughs> try. It, it seems like a very easy thing to succeed at doing if it's what you're inclined to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Three, two, one. Come run for Frankenstein. Theme song. Carnivorous cow. Shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film of... Sorry, I didn't practice pronouncing your last name, comrade. Carnivorous cow. With Brady and Rob. Stop beating me to death with a beach ball as I lay dying.